We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. You know, older woman comes up to me, Caribbean lady, been living there for years. And she says, you know, I just want to tell you thank you. And I said, for what? She's like, I know from reading about you that you can open your place anywhere in the world. And the fact that you decided to open here in our neighborhood makes us very proud. Uh, And the thing for me was that that's all I ever wanted. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Andre Mack is a sommelier, wine educator, bourbon maker, restaurateur, and Bon Appetit on-air host, and one of the freshest voices in all of food. He's the author of the incredible book, 99 Bottles, A Black Sheep's Guide to Life-Changing Wines, and I had him in the studio to talk through his many career highlights. These include his time running the beverage program at Per Se, opening his own wine and ham bar in Brooklyn, and his journey to YouTube, where he is currently one of the most popular personalities in the BA universe, hosting the great show World of Wine. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andre. Andre Mack, welcome to the Taste Podcast. I love your videos. I do not drink. I have in the past, but it's been many years. It does not matter. I cannot stop watching them. I've heard that before. Uh, (laughs) I don't want to say thank you. Uh, I don't know if that's a testament to anything that I have to do with it, but uh, I think it's a really fun and interesting topic, and I don't think that you always have to be a consumer of alcoholic beverages to enjoy um, you know, some of the content that we've been putting yeah. out. Yeah, it's a testament to you, too, just commanding the, the the room, having just a great and fun. You're just, you have a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I had a rule. Like, if I'm not having fun, I don't want to do it. Yeah. So, but that was a key when we first started talking about doing videos and shooting content was, I just really want to have fun. So we'll get to World of Wine, your show on, on BA. Uh, we'll also talk about your and son's empire building, which is, you've got so many cool concepts there. Uh, I have some questions about Stitzel Weller Juice. I have some questions <laughs> about uh, your art direction and your, your design background. Um, let's first talk about Per Se. You worked yes. there uh, for a while. And... I just want to know, like, what don't we know as listeners about working at Per Se? It was intense. Like, I think for a lot of people, you don't really understand how intense it was. Um, but also it was a utopia. Uh, hmm. Wow. Lo- uh, Great looking, word. Yeah, yeah looking, looking back on it, it's amazing. You know, like, I think some days, you know, when the trench is a little hard, it feels somewhat cultish in a, in a way, which is pretty funny. Hmm. Um you know, there. And true, maybe. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Like you definitely have to drink the Kool Aid to be yeah all in. But I think that's the that's how you get the most out of it. And so that whole idea of like you know, I'm like you know, I came from a place where a hard day's work meant your back hurt. There, not only did your back hurt, but your brain was mush. Yeah. Right. There was a lot of lot of thought uh, that went into everything, uh, and the way that you looked at things were very differently. Um, and, you know, I have to say that I have a newfound respect for the chef and what he was be able, mm. what he was able to build now that I'm building something very similar myself. Yeah. You know, the idea of creating a culture uh, that's, you know, I wouldn't even call it self-policing, uh, but it, it was just one of those things where everybody held everyone else yeah, accountable. Yeah, you had lineup and you had people like 
you know, making sure you had the right notes in your book. And, right. and I'd like to hear about your role there. I mean, were you uh, a wine manager, wine director? What, what was the Yeah, so I was position? the beverage director there. I was the head sommelier there. So, yeah, um, yeah um, you know, I had uh, six other sommeliers work for me. Yeah. Uh, that was hard for me, right? The idea of being, uh, you know, delegation. You know, I had to lay on someone's sofa to, like, to come to grips with that, you know? And, yep. and I think... You know, now I can easily see, you know, going back to the easiest forms of management because that's what I was most comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, you know, doing it myself. If I had to ask you twice, I might as well do it on my own. Um, but I, I learned a lot there, a lot of yeah. a lot of growth. You know, I did the pre-chef meetings, which, you know, I think, you know, I tell a lot of kids now that I mentor that, like, you have to look at your job and, and pick out other parts that you want to challenge yourself. That's what makes it new and fresh, mm-hmm. right? The idea that, like, behind, you know, you know, I think public speaking is number two behind death because like the most feared thing on, in yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, and, probably. And for me, I just felt like, okay, like I don't know how I'm going to use this in my life, but like, okay, cool. I want to do the meeting every single day that I'm there. Yeah. If I'm on the property, you know, talking to someone, you know, passing by and the meeting's happening, I want you guys to make me do it. Yeah, because you knew that was something that you needed to work on. Correct. Just yeah, like, yeah. I mean, like attacking that thing, and you know. Yeah. And then now it's like, okay, yeah, you show up for forty-five minutes, forty-five <laughs> k. Yeah, you know, yeah. you speak to an audience. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like the whole public speaking thing. And um, yeah, you've evolved that 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 part of your life. Yeah, yeah. So I think like that was a good part. But like it was it was really intense, um, and it's a job that most people never give up. I want to talk about the job because you write the sommelier's job is not it's not wine it's managing all liquid used in the restaurant that's a quote and I thought that that really struck me I've written about food for like 20 years and I've never actually thought about the sommelier's Correct. job amazing you're talking about water you're talking about tea coffee you're talking about stock maybe yeah, even gla- in the back glassware um, about order, ordering wine for the chef like anything that was liquid in, liquid in the restaurant I was responsible for yeah um and it's a big job. You know, I think when you think about sommelier at that level, you're like, oh, you're just, you know, prancing around the dining room in a Prada suit, you know, yeah. you know, drinking, you know, the world's greatest wines. Um, part of that is true. Um, but it's far and few between. A lot of time is spent, you know, meeting after meeting. Um, tasting you know, after tasting. Yeah. I mean, actually, even less. Like, I found yeah. myself doing less tasting. You're doing a lot of, Interesting. you know, I think which a lot of people think. But you're managing, it's, you're managing people. Um, you're organ- organizing, you know, taking, you're running a business inside of a business. What do you miss about working the floor per se? I feel like running the show <laughs> and, and just knowing the level of income walking in that door where money does not matter and you've got these wines to sell. Got to be pretty exciting. No, it was, it's always great. It was fun. <laughs> you know, it's like I always, t- you know, the analogy is like, hey, during the day you're there, you're working, right? Like, you know, yeah. you get suit jackets off, no tie. You're walking around moving boxes, very physical, organizing, setting yourself up for success for that evening. You know, after the pre-chef meeting, you go in the back, you come back out with your top hat on. Yeah. Sh- showtime, baby. Yeah. And that was that was the fun part. Like, that's where all the hard work paid off. The studying, understanding, like, yeah. things that you knew or being at those tastings with the winemaker, them, you know, relaying stories and, and you know, telling you why this wine tastes this way. This was what you did it all for. This is how you could show what you knew and you're in service. It was it was really like like showtime. Like, you know, like, you know, I would imagine, you know, something on Broadway. Yeah, Broadway or or, you know, 
hairstyles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> now tell me, what's the best question you can ask somebody who is running the, the beverage at a restaurant as a diner? Is there a question that makes you feel great, makes the whole experience better? I think just being, you know, I think curious questions are always great. I think some people sometimes they get caught up in this whole thing of like, it's a stupid question. There's just, there's no stupid question. Love that. But the, but the idea of like most people are drawn to wine. It's their curiosity. I find that that it was one of those industries where everybody's pretty remarkable. Everybody comes from different uh, walks of life and had di- many different careers. Um, and it's their curiosity that um, that brings them there. That yeah. brings them that how they found wine. And, you know, just so, I mean, if you're just a curious question, I think is, yeah. like, can always be appreciated or just even telling them that, that you appreciate them. I like that. I you think know? it's important just to tell if somebody is giving you great service or even okay service, yeah. tell them that you appreciate them. Yeah. It cannot be said enough. Speaking about curiosity, uh, one of your series on BA, uh, Bon Appetit, that it is to be clear, wine, World of Wine is your 50 States project, which is just <laughs> Fascinating. You are drinking through all 50 states. All 50 states in America produce wine. Correct. I would like to know first, Nebraska, what? <laughs> yeah. I think that I had a lot of <laughs> a lot of those moments uh, on the set that day over those two, the course of two days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is true. Every uh, single state produces produces wine. Um, I had to ask you a couple questions. Yeah. It seemed you were feeling New Jersey, which I feel is great um, <laughs> because New Jersey doesn't seem like a wine region. So nope. what was that experience like? Um, you know, just surprising. You know, like the, the, the cur- like I was just curious to see what if, if it tasted well or not. And it yeah. was. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, they, you know, I think this is one of the things you're just surprised by. Like, but. But also, I'm not surprised by anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, if that really kind of makes sense, it does. You know, um, I guess I guess I should have, you know, disclosed that I'm actually from New Jersey. I think I did in the video. Yeah, I think that you was said that you drank a bunch of wine in New Jersey, but you didn't really know much yeah, about that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm from New Jersey. Um, <laughs> that wasn't reason why it, it scored high. I think I thought it was a well crafted made wine, uh, and yeah. it's interesting. And you know, I'd have to say that what was great about that project and awesome, and also somewhat like not so cool is like we didn't choose the best we didn't go in choosing the best wine i think it was like the most popular and i didn't choose any of the wines it was was apparent that you didn't pick any of the wines yeah which i thought was was fair right i think people were choosing wines that like oh this is probably the most popular this is kind of what they're known for um and i think you know there's good examples. I'm sure there's good examples of people making great wine in every single state mm-hmm. as, like, everybody's blowing me up in my DMs. What about this one? What is this one? Of like, listen, like, listen, you know, everything's, you know, you know, 2020 in hindsight. Listen, you know, they make <laughs> – I'm sure there's some great wine being made there. And you know what? Personally, I'd love to try it. But for this show, well, we didn't get a chance to. So there you there's go. There's always a second part. I well, feel like it's yeah, a popular it could, series. It, so. could be, it could be a TV show for sure. I think so. And sure. And – um, I have to, I mean, shout Herman Viner. You picked that one for New York or you uh, didn't pick. That's a great call. I think up in Cuca, I think it is. Finger Lakes wine. Yeah, beautiful no, Those wine. are my guys too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know. They picked a being, good one. Yeah. Being, being around long enough that like, you know, Oscar, I remember Oscar was just the sales rep for the company. Yeah. You oh know? yeah. Back in the day they yeah. had a pretty small operation. Now yeah. they're quite large. Yeah. No, I think it's awesome. Is there a state from this tasting that really shocked you? The wine from that state? Maybe it's not indicative of the state, but was there like a It was pairing? New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. New yeah. Jersey, Colorado, like the fact that like yeah. they were, um, you know, making wines of, of, of consequence uh, and, and, and of decent quality. I was, I was shocked. 
you give great tasting notes. It's it's just part of the energy and fun of the show. And I think, you know, it's imperative that you have a vocabulary, especially as you're training. But I have to ask, like, when you start saying things like gravel road and petrol mm-hmm. as like a positive, potentially a positive tasting <laughs> note, how do you how do you square with that? Because it's hard for me to understand that. I mean, I feel like it's just reality. Like, I think I think for a lot of people, they think that it is a positive thing. People are like, well, I don't want to put petrol, but like you're not putting petrol in your mouth. It smells like petrol. It doesn't yeah. taste like it. It's right. what it smells like. And um, and I think, you know, and especially when it's a hallmark or a calling card of a, of a you know, specific grape, I think it's when it's really important. Um, you know, I think also that's a part of wine that's a little cuckoo in a way, mm-hmm. right? Where like it does take a little bit of understanding, you know, the vocabulary or know what it is. And, you know, to me, I would even like to go more down that road, right? Because... I think, you know, it's easier just to blurt out what it reminds you of. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about. What does this remind you of? You know, we did a I, tasting experiment with a, uh, with our team one time. And, uh, you know, a young lady was like, this reminds me of my grandfather. And I was like, how so? She goes, yeah, he used to pick me up, give me a hug. And I was like, okay. And she goes, yeah, but he used to have a pack of cigarellos in his shirt. Pack. Okay, I thought it was Cuddy Sark, but no, no, it's, it's no, cigarellos. No, 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 cigarellos. <laughs> he didn't have Cuddy Sark on his, on his breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no, I was thinking. No. Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, it, um, <laughs> that's really funny, actually. Um, he, um, you know, she was spelling, she was smelling the cedar because yeah. it's a cedar line. So it's like, what does this remind you of in experience? And I think those tend to make a more immersive wine drinking experience or make it to be a little bit fun. And it's not like based on like these categories yeah. of like thing. You know, I mean, also, I don't think tastings notes, like who gives a shit? Like they're, I... all, they're, they're all made up by somebody else who doesn't really have your taste. And so for me, just to have fun with it, that's why we did emojis. You yeah. know, one of, like I started to like describe wine in emojis. Like how does it make you feel? Agree fully. I love that you d- draw this distinction. And I'm hearing a lot that it is how it makes you feel and not a certified take on, you know, XYZ reminds and reminds reminds. Well, and you also, you got to remember, I straddle the line too, right? Like, so what? what's the beautiful part about you know, this show is that it connects with all level of people in wine. I don't know how many restaurants I've been in where I've been mobbed, literally mobbed mm-hmm. um, by the waiters, by the staff yeah. who want to say thank you. Yep. You know, we used your videos to study yep. to pass the test here so we could actually work on the floor about yep. wine, which I think is pretty amazing. And then you have, you know, novice people who are just watching who who really aren't into it. And for me, I think, you know, I, you know, I pride myself in the, in the sense that, like, I can give this download of information um, that transcends those lines, that, you know, that it, it is someone who knows nothing about wine that they can relate to, but then also someone who works in the industry yep. that they can be inspired and yep. use that as a base, a jumping off point. Uh, to to learn about wine in uh, in a restaurant. I talk about that a lot with when we interview folks in coffee, which is uh, a micro theme here on the show. And I think it's just knowing audience. Like, obviously, you need to have training vocabulary. And back of the house, you need to say things like tar and, you know, bergamot. Like, it's important because, like, they're the ones who are the professionals. Obviously, the end user doesn't really know what bergamot even tastes like. They're like, ah, is that the stuff in the Aesop soap? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, like the yeah. Soap. yeah. I think that I think that probably made it more famous than anything. Fancy restaurant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what that's giving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
Andre, can you can you make the, like the first great wine television show? I'm trying to. You are. Well, you know, it's one of those things that I think like I've never set out to do any of that. Like I think that would sound so crazy to me, but I just think like you know I'm just getting started. Like also like just trying to figure out. Yeah. You know my own persona on on that and like and really being authentic to it. I think yeah. that's probably how I've gotten this far in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're working on. It. We got a lot of shows in the hopper. A lot of ideas. Uh, and this is all funny, you know, this, these are the same ideas and things that I've been talking about since, yeah. you know, I'm, I moved to New York City in 2004. But it took the pandemic for you to take a pause from, like, the road work and, like, opening restaurants to actually get in front of the camera and, like, feel a voice and, and really crystallize a voice, right? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, the strange thing is, is that I've been meeting with production companies f- yeah. decades, right? You know, like, so like the idea of wanting to have wine on television was something that it seems like everybody kind of, and no one has done it. Like punch wrote a great story years ago about how there's been no breakout wine show. That's why kind of why I asked you. No, no, totally. Well, and it hasn't. And then you go to all the executives and, you know, food network, I've been to all of them. Oh yeah. Like years ago. And you know, they were under the mindset that, you know, wine on television doesn't work. Uh, and then you have something like Psalm, that happens, and that was kind of, I think, a breakout moment yeah. for a lot of people. And then I think uh, Universal bought a show, a show from them that was, you know, based on the competition mm-hmm. around the competition. Uh, I think that was on Esquire Network. And then I think everything kind of changed, um, and, you know. And I don't know if I'm part of that, but like I think that you know people were more interested in wine. Things have, things have changed. People were more familiar with wine. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think that that's great. But like. No. I don't know. I'm just out. I'm just. It's talent, I'm just man. I'm just, I'm just gonna being, say. It. Yeah, a lot of people it's, say that. It's talent. I, it. I think it it really is uh, getting the right person to talk about wine the right way. Um, I'm sure some of your per se customers were like maybe running CNN. It's in the building, so yeah. they must have been like, "Yo, like let's do a TV show." But just, yeah, the execution yeah. has been pretty spotty. Yeah. No. Totally. And you know, I think all of that's changing. Um, yep. Yeah, I think I think it's all changing for the better. I love it. Let's segue to ham because yes. Anna Hiesel, my former colleague, wrote a great piece about the new ham wave, and you were at the center of it yep. uh, when she interviewed you. And I, I really love how Ann Sons, your restaurant in Brooklyn, is really thinking about domestic hams mostly, I believe. Um, yep. I'd like to hear a little bit about ham in America. Are there regions, are there styles that are, like, really exciting you? Yeah. Um, you know, the ham thing is is – it was pretty remarkable to me. I um, was meeting with a friend, and he was talking about how a friend of his is a farmer in Ohio, um, and he says, you know, his number one market um, is Italy. You know, whether it be export or whatever. Wow! And I crazy. And he stat. was like, because they can't keep up with the world's demand of prosciutto. And you know, here I was thinking, like, you know, they're really, their laws are really restrictive. Like, is that even true? And the fact of it is, is that prosciutto, all that is a process. It doesn't really matter where the, where the hogs come from. And I was like, well, if our hogs are good enough for prosciutto, then how come <laughs> they're not good enough here? And then as you start to, like, do the research, you realize that, like, oh, country ham, you know, it's been our thing. We've been doing it over for hundreds of years, um, you know. And I've always just felt like, you know, being here in New York and then, you know, spending some time in Europe – you know, if there was ever a conversation about ham between a Spaniard and an Italian, like there was no way, you know, I was going to get bludgeoned. You know, it was like yeah. there was no way that I could be a part of that conversation. Um, and what a lot of people don't know is like, you know, ham is something that we're known for. You know, when we became a new nation, yeah. Thomas Jefferson bought the Sun King, you know, a leg of ham from Virginia. Um, 
And I think the way we thought about country ham was very different than the way that we looked at prosciutto. You know, country ham was generally cut on the thicker side, thrown in a cast iron skillet, mixed with red eye gravy. It was never treated with, you know, had the white glove treatment. It was never put in like sheets of wax paper and like thinly sliced. Yeah, it was never thinly sliced any of that. And then, you know, you know, and I, you know, I feel for me. You know, David Chang really opened my eyes to that. And Al- to through Alan Benton. Yeah. Yep. You know? And so, yeah. And so Benton's was one of those things that started. And I was just like, wait a minute. Like, I've been to Spain so many times. They have their Hamon bars. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do an American version where everything, yeah. you know, so it's all of the American charcuterie, which I felt like hasn't even hit its stride yet. You know, in compared to something like American cheese, which I want to say like 05, 07 really kind of blew up. Yeah. Um, and then you think about American wine. You know, we've been making wine for a long time. Uh, and I I wanted a place to harness all of that and to be able to tell those stories. Yep. And, you know, we have, you know, an all-American wine list that dates back to the 60s, uh, which is really fun. It's uh, really cool, and it's really hard to do. I know Doug Kroll up at Buttermilk Channel when they opened a decade yeah. ago was trying to do that, and he eventually had to bring in some Loire Valley, had to bring in a – but then you're still sticking with – Oh, yeah, no. There's there's no there's no way that I would be deterred. Yeah, it's all-American. I love um, that. It's hard to do, though. Yeah, no. I mean, but also, like, you know – we we have over seven hundred selections. Amazing, right? So Dang. like it's a pretty it's a we have four hundred square feet. The restaurant's four hundred square feet. <laughs> so we you know it's a pretty small place, but we have a, a yeah. very big wine list. And you know we have you know we you know we have wines from Texas, you know from the eighties, you know. So it's a really fun thing, and and the idea of being able to come and wait Nolan Ryan era wines. Yes, yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah. Well, and the, what's cool about about that is is that you can it's, it represents some of the greatest value in wine right now. When you think about old American wine, there's really not a market for mm. something like, you know, 1994 Trefeffin. Like, I think there is. Mm. So, shout out Trefeffin. Where's Trefeffin? Where's that producer? That's, that's uh, produced in Napa. But, like, yeah. think about 1994 Cabernet has no real market on the auction market. Mm. Uh, and so people end up giving it away or, you know, you can find it pennies on the dollar. And the idea of, like, someone being able to come in and spend, you know, less than 80 bucks on a birthier wine yeah. and get that experience, I think is really That's... fun and really awesome. And then, you know, and then you're surrounded by all these other things. You know, this is a preservation, if you will, of American food heritage. Yeah. When, no, it's when you a, think about it. Such a great point. And I have to ask you as a follow-up about, about wine taste and auction values. It all comes around. Like there was a time when rye, and we'll get to bourbon, and, yeah. and where it was pennies on the dollar. Okay. What? So, Andre, what changes the value of wine? What changes the what, demand? But how does the demand change? Is it like editorial? Do people like hear? Is it some? I think in the it's restaurant? both. Right. I think it's both. Like uh, editorial, and like, and this, yeah. and but also what I would say is, is generally editorial means that someone's actually doing it out in the real world. Of course, and, right. And so and like so not, let's not give the wine writers that much credit. Yeah, no. So so it's both. So I think it's both. Right. It's yeah. like people actually doing it, like you know, champion it. And and for me, it's like we're gonna champion this, like until there's no more. Yeah. Right. Until I mean, like and like until there's until there's no more. And I think that's what's really fun. But, like, also, like, even the hams, like, you know, we have the largest collection of country hams anywhere in the world at 15, right? Yeah. I, think we, I think we probably have, like, maybe four or five it's... On, on top of that, like, underneath the counter. But, like, you have those. And, you know, we always encourage people to taste more than one, you know, side by side, the comparison. So if you look at, you know, something from the south, like, the further south you go, you know, 
they introduced smoke. We created bacon, right? So smoking it, you introduce smoke. Further north, like so, um, you know, north you, you tend to have less smokiness. Mm-hmm. So Is north more, like Ohio, Kentucky? Yeah, that so yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't even say Kentucky. I would yeah. say maybe more like Ohio, but like even if you go and you go to like North Carolina yeah. uh, and actually even up in upstate New York, people are curing hams. They're not introducing a lot of smoke. Yep. Um, so you get more of that clean, rich pork flavor that, you know, emulate, you know, some of the other styles um, across the pond. But it's just been a, a remarkable thing to do. You know, I'm just telling someone else's story. We don't make anything. You know, I think within the bar, we make probably about eight or nine different small plates yeah. where our chef actually makes something. But most of it is, is it's slicing and eating. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Really Listener. Now, if you can go to anywhere where you're going to get the finest of anything in the world at like a relative low price at an affordable price, like you need to go. I think I talk about this with coffee. You can get the best coffee, even if it's like $30 a glass or even it's like $50 for ham. It's mm-hmm. still, it's the best ham in the world. It's mm-hmm. only 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. I feel like we don't realize that. Like these are like the best hams in the world. Correct. Well, and I think a lot of people attach price and it's like, oh. Yeah. Or are they going with a mindset of like, oh, taking it down. Like the, the idea is like to allow yourself to be open uh, to it. Um, and so we don't we don't have any fifty dollar hams, but I do feel like we do have some of the best hams. Um, you know, our our hams rival any ham. You know, I mean, we're dealing with a small producer, Dwight. It's called Dakota. It's from like Nancy, Tennessee. Yeah, of ships course, it, his name is Dwight. I love yeah, that. that and ships it to us in the pillowcase in which it hangs from the rafters. Nice. As 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 people did back in the day. Yep. You know, our first couple of hams. You know, they're forty two months old. Wow. You know, I mean, that's outside any regulation yeah. that you could find in Italy. And, you know, so just making, you know, these really amazing, remarkable hams. And I think it's funny. And I wanted to give, you know, us a showcase to do it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a common thing to go to a country and all they have is things made from that country. Here in America, it's always different where somehow we're not a real restaurant if we don't have a more international take. And I think it's like, no, I want to show you all the really great small things that are happening here uh, and that we all should be championing. I think it's changing. And and I want to segue and talk about bourbon yeah. because as a culture, we're obsessed with timestamp bourbon and with, with bourbon with bottles with numbers on the label. <laughs> and I want to get your take on the current status of Pappy because, you know, Stitzel Weller, this mythic distillery was making the juice, the, mm-hmm. the bourbon that is in Pappy Van Winkle. Now that is a finite amount. Pat, Stitzel Weller has been closed for 25 years, maybe. Pappy's going to run out at some point. Is that correct assumption? Well, no, they're still continuing to make, right? Like, so Weller, it's so funny. I... Did not knowing anything, I was introduced to Weller back in like 1995, right? 96. Um, I was going to college in Oklahoma. Uh, a friend of mine, I got into gambling, I was booking. This is probably where we flash up the 1 800 number or something, <laughs> right? If you have a problem with gambling. Um, but, anyways, I, you know, I, tale here yeah, Andre. <laughs> I used to, um, you know, sports, sports gambling, sports book. Let me guess you're not gambling anymore. No, 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 I'm good. Like, you know, like good. I'm not addicted to anything. So, like, I feel very comfortable cool. walking away. Yeah, you're, ta- um, you're talking about it. So, good. yeah, no, so we, um, but yeah, so I, uh, a friend of mine, he was a bookie. Yeah. You know, or was a friend of the bookie. And you know, anytime we would go somewhere, he's like, you guys have Weller. Yeah. And then he, they would say no, and he was like, all right, we're leaving, guys. And I'm like, what do you mean? Why are we leaving? And they're like, because they don't have well. So that, you know, that's the stuff I used to drink yeah. a long time ago, you know, not, not, not knowing, you know, of its life it or, yeah, or, no, what it, or whatever it is. And, you know, I, and I think, you know, that's just a side 
that that's happening with inside of the meteoric rise of of American uh, whiskey, which is like just been turned upside down on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and, and it's it's really interesting. They are making a lot of offshoots of like so yeah. it's like well, like not merch. vintage, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So like like I don't think they're ever going to run out of of that kind of stuff because they're still aging it. Yeah. Um, but people are obsessed with with bourbon, and and it seems really. Um, it was just wild to me. You know, I, I just recently got in, you know, as you started making um, a little bit of uh, rye, yeah. rye whiskey from Kentucky. Very cool. You're making your own. That's great. Yeah. And it was uh, a really fun process, you know, uh, um, speaking of per se, you know, a, a fellow coworker there, um, you know, we, we remained friends and he started one of the, like the first kind of whiskey forward restaurants in America, mm. which happened to be in Brooklyn. Oh. Uh, it was called Char Number 4. Of course, Smith yep. Street. I yep. was like, this yep. has to be Char 4. Yeah, 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 yeah. R.I.P. Char 4. It was the best. Yeah, it really uh, was. And and you could get, like, um, Black Maple Hill for, like, $6 yeah. at one point, which is, like, impossible. It's nothing anymore, you know? Well, you know what was funny? I think the first time I ever seen um, Linnell was a woman who had uh, out on— um, and Red Hook. Of course. She had a little shop. We know Linnell. And yeah. Linnell made her own. Yeah. Uh, and I remember it being there on the show. The first person I ever saw it was um, at Char Number 4. And now fast forward, I'm in uh, Kentucky uh, last year, and I see it in a shop. And it's $26,000 a bottle. For one of Linnell's yes. batches? Yes. What? I couldn't believe it. I was like on the—I was—I like fell to the floor. I remember when Linnell was just out there in Red Hook yeah, making yeah. that stuff, and it was yeah. delicious. Yeah, so it's just been it's been interesting. That to me, I like to tell that story because it tells you how far it's come. It has, um, and, and and I guess is it a net positive? I think it's a great thing. Uh, over you know, too much of anything could be a bad thing, and I think we'll see some repercussions of that, and some you know some some dips in the market because of that. But you know, but not so much that. It deterred me from not getting involved, yeah. right? I ended up doing a collaboration series. Uh, a friend of mine who owned Pinhook, Char Number 4, started a company called Pinhook. And we worked on a collaboration series, uh, which was really fun and yeah. amazing. Uh, and then we just got to thinking, you know, what would it be like if we did something that was a little bit more approachable? You know, this, you know, I was blending 10 barrels of 10-year-old Wyoming whiskey, uh, you know, that— in the resale market, those bottles got up pretty quick to 700 bucks a bottle. Um, and I wanted to do something different. You know, Rye, to me, was always the underdog. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know— Rittenhouse, and, you know, for yeah. years was the, was the guy, yeah. you know, I felt, I feel like. Well, even at Char, I think you could yeah. get Rittenhouse for a buck, a shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hilarious, um, definitely. And so, you know, Rye, to me, you know, was something that I wanted to champion, which I found myself drinking quite a bit of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we got to talking, we were like, yeah, let's— Let's do it. So I ended up starting a new company with the owners of uh, Pinhook called Ryan Sons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's really about rye for all. It's about putting craft uh, in the well. Um, cool. And so it's just been a, a really fun thing to kind of to kind of see. You know, I've craft done— Craft in I've the well. My, smart. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. You, yeah. want, you want your mixed drinks to have good quality domestic product that doesn't, you know, kill the, kill the price. Right. And I think price point, we, we can get there. What do you age it at then? Uh, two years. Yeah. So this is yeah. This is like two and a half years, uh, but always I've always felt rye is very giving, young, youthful, yeah. right? Uh, where where bourbon isn't, you know. And I kind of even make those analogies when I talk to people about, you know, 
bourbon is more akin to like California Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rye is, you know, similar uh, to uh, to Pinot Noir, complex, uh, um, you know, gives gives a lot in its youth. Mm. Um are these you know, standard so, barrel sizes too for two yeah. years? Yeah, you're not doing any of those tricks throwing wood in it. No, 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 no. So just straight up, um, you know. And what's interesting about the whiskey business is, you know, it is uh, it's about to, you know, it's not a lot of. It, there's only a small amount of distillers. Like there's not yeah. a lot of people distilling, and I think that might change over the years. Um, you know, when what I realize is like what makes, you know anything different or what makes the product your anyone's product unique uh, is, you know, how you blend and how you finish. Absolutely agree. It's a capital heavy business. It, yep. it takes six years for often to get certification right in bourbon or yep. five years, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's so capital heavy intensive, but yeah. I agree. Blending and finishing is not talked about as much as like what's in the barrel, but your finishing is essential. Right. Cause it, what you feel like where you realize is like, Oh, there's only like five real distillers, like, and yeah. most of it comes from that. Mm-hmm. But it's like how you, how you, how you end up blending. You know, like Ryan Sons. You know, we didn't go to the traditional route of it being like 95 percent rye. You know, to me, I like more. You know, our mash bill is more like sixty percent, uh, and then twenty percent barley, twenty percent yeah. um, uh, corn. And what's interesting is the barley and all of that. You know, that's the most expensive. Right, yeah. and so we're putting a, a little bit more in that, and so I think that like it really works well in cocktails. Um, it kind of harnesses a little bit of that that spiciness yeah. that you tend to associate with uh, with rye. I've asked Janice Robinson, Alice Firing, Talia Bayoki, Jordan Michaelman, many in wine this question, and I want to know, Andre, your take. Natural wine, it's quite a topic. There's just so much to talk about with natural wine. I feel like uh, it's a meme. It's also a product that is the future. It's also maybe not even the future. It's more than that. John Bonet and I talked about it recently. What is your take on this natural wine universe we live in? I'm part of the good wine movement. Cool. If it's good, I want to drink it. <laughs> um, Preach. And, you, you know, and so I think um, what's interesting about that topic is if you applied it and said the wine world. Within the wine world, there's people who make really great wine. There's people who make really crappy wine. In the natural wine world, I think the same thing can be applied. Um, and I think some of the bad examples, you know, people use that against them. And there's some really great examples. And so I, it's very polarizing in a lot of ways. Um, and my thing is, is that I just want to be part of the good wine movement. I want to support things that I think are great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, even within that, like just, just like you have in the regular wine world, you have, you know, People who use it as a marketing term and some people who it's really a way of the life. The fiber of their yeah. being. And so I, I, think there's a, I think there's a lot of that. I think some days I have a problem with how, it, how the wine is made supersedes like any sense of terroir of, of the wine. Mm. Right. So, you know, if you're blind tasting me on something and, and it, I can tell you that it's made, it's, it's natural, right. That's air quotes there. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't no be able terroir. to— yeah, No terroir. Yeah, no terroir. It's all yeah. been stripped from all of that. And so I think it will all start to play out. I think what you're starting to see now is that, you know, it's starting to level itself out. You know, if you think about, like, YouTube early— when it early started, it was a lot of cat videos. Yeah. Right? That were getting the Love most those. views. Keyboard cat. Yeah, shout yeah, out. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then now what you're having is level-headed, professional. It's a, it's a real platform 
yeah. that, you know, that real companies are putting real money into production, that kind of stuff, right? And I think that's what's really happening within uh, within that industry. Uh, even some of the younger people coming to it, like calling bullshit on some stuff. Um, but like, you know, like, but for me, I will always champion anything that brings more people to wine. Yeah. Uh, and I get it. You know, they, you know, the way it's presented, it, you know, it's presented with a, a lot of pretense. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, some days, you know, it it is just another level of elitism in wine. That's a, well said. I think you're going to hear different opinions from all the folks I mentioned. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you've really— I know them. <laughs> you know them all. And, and yeah. honestly, it's why wine is so fascinating and such a rich to- text yeah. uh, for writing and talking and why I think, Andre, you will make the first great wine television <laughs> show. We'll see. Let's get, let's get there. Because I think just back to that, I just feel like there's a way to educate and have fun. And a lot of times when you're, like, stroking grapes in a vineyard, it's not fun. No, it's not, you know, and I think, um, you know, it's real work is I think what, what like, it's true. It's what, what most people don't understand it. it. It takes a lot of work. And when you, uh, when you've been there, you visit it, you understand all the blood, sweat and tears that go into it. Uh, it makes it hard for you to, yeah. to, um, to talk shit or to panic. <laughs> but I think you have a different level of appreciation for it. Yep. As I mentioned, coffee's a micro topic on here and yep. we've covered so much in beverage. <laughs> do you mess with coffee? Are you are you I, in that world? I do. Um, I drink a lot of cold brew. We do have cold brew on tap in okay. our uh, in our office. Uh, your own coffee or from who? Who's your, no, no, we use Parler. Yeah, Parler yeah. is your yeah. Uh, is so your that's guy. kind of been my my our go to of late. Right, right, right. Um, actually, probably really one of the first people I got to hang around and like roast with them, like them showing me the steps and yeah. just really kind of really starting to understand coffee and and in mm-hmm. that in that way. Um, you know, and, and so it's funny because I think some people don't like parlor the way I think, I think it like leaves some people hanging in, huh. in some ways, but like, I like parlor. Yeah. Oh, I've always yeah. enjoyed it. Uh, and the idea of like, you know, just like, you know, they're different mixes, but yeah, we do, we do, yeah. we do a lot of cold. I like East one too. Shout out to East yeah, one. Yeah, that's, yeah, yep, that's my yep, Brooklyn yep. roaster, but, yep. but back to like just coffee as a, as a topic to research and as uh something to really think deeply about as you have with so many elements in beverage. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you want to learn more about? Is it something that you're maybe not going to do quite yet? I mean, it seems like it's... Oh, no. I mean, I am. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm working on a couple of TV shows that basically is that, right? It's like, you know, hanging out with people that, um, that allow me to be able to appreciate the thing that they do at the level I, I do with wine, if that kind of makes sense. Absolutely. Like a connoisseur. Yeah. Like, like so like yeah. somebody like teaching me yeah. how to appreciate something that they're very passionate in, in the way that I am about wine. Yeah. Um, and so coffee is definitely one of those things, you know, going, you know, going to see it, like also like not knowing that it, it could be dangerous. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like that part, like, it's, you know, it's, it's so wild. It's grown in, in, in places with conflict, places yeah. with human rights violations. Yeah. And obviously from the farm to your cup, there's so many steps like wine mm-hmm. that people lose money and Correct. people are not paid fairly. Correct. It's a huge, no. huge problem. No. So I'm I'm anxious to to learn as more. You know, like I said, like I'm a very curious person, uh, person by nature. And yeah. I think 
those are uh, those are always really great qualities to have when you're uh, thinking about learning something or pursuing something. Let's talk about 99 Bottles. I've not had a chance to read much of it, but it is such a remarkable book. Thank it, you. It, you're welcome. It's It's been um, recognizing the industry. It's got... Voice, it's it, you designed it. It looks like I mean you had a lot of the you yeah. come from an, you have an art direction background. If if listener you haven't even checked that out, like Andres actually runs a design agency too. On top of all of this, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and I was self taught, so you know I, yeah. I never knew that you know that that was something that I was good at. You know it was yeah. you know it was at per se at those meetings where we had the back of the lineup that I designed. I used to design the layout. It take like thirty minutes a day and design the layout like a magazine layout. Mm, cool. And that's how we that's how we taught them, you know, and did things. And so it was like, did you go to school for that? And I was like, this, and like, no. Were you using just like InDesign? You're just like, no. Right. I was. It wasn't even. I was using. I was doing it in Word. Yeah. Wow. Right. Like trying to drop pictures in it. Oh so yeah. Now, so now <laughs> when I go back, if I didn't save it in a PDF, then the format's all messed up. But uh, 99 bottles is you know very personal yeah. and fun, um, you know, book for me. You know, it tells my wine life story through 99 bottles. Yeah. You know, whether, you know, mainly wine, but alcohol, uh, water, um, you know, I've always believed that wine is a is a placeholder of time. Yeah. Right. The reason why that bottle tastes so good is because you were on vacation in Portugal by the water. It was three euros. Right. You've been trying to track down that wine ever since you came back to the States. Couldn't find it. Then you finally get it. Mm. You taste it and you're like, oh, they must be exporting something of lower quality. Uh, and it's not what you're chasing is everything else that made that bottle special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a placeholder of that time and moment. So uh, this book is, you know, in these in these pivotal moments in my life, you know, there was a bottle of wine or something that was around that will always help me tell the story. Um, you know, per se, we opened, um, I think the first day, first service that we opened, we shut the restaurant down because it caught on fire. Oh, that's right. Right. Legendary yeah, moment so, in the yeah, history so of the it was a fire. But like during that time, yeah. I was the one that was like, it smells like, it's so funny because this tells you where I'm from. I was like, man, it smells like somebody smoking crack in here. Mm. And everybody else looks at me they're like, Jeez. yeah, how do you, like, we don't know what crack smells like. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. Well, yeah. I grew up in Trenton during the cracker. Like you could smell people smoking on the street, but it just smells like burning plastic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I think there might be a fire. And then smoke started to billow out of the out of the panels on the ceiling. But all along, I had opened up this bottle of 1985 Chateau Reyes, Chateau Neuf de Pop for a table. Yeah. And so I remember just working on that and working through the whole At that moment when it was burnt, when the, the restaurant was burning just down? Right, so right before that. Yeah. And then, and then I remember, you know, they didn't finish the bottle of wine. Lunch service is over. We're doing the crossover where the dinner crew's coming in. And, you know, they said, hey, well— you know, take what's left in the decanter and, you know, you share it with the rest of the staff. And so I'm taking the decanter back. Oh, my gosh. Right. And then I realized that's when I was like, oh, dude, this smells like an electrical fire. You know, it's like before I was like, this smells like crackers messing around. <laughs> and then smoke started to billow out. The alarm started to go off and we never got to drink the wine with the staff. Then they evacuated the building. And so I tell all of these stories. So, like, you know, this is one of the bottles that are that's in um you know, that's in the book. You know, I think we start off with uh, old English malt liquor. Yep. And, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, you know, I was a kid that was raised by hip hop, mm-hmm. fell in love with punk rock and skateboarding and all of, and all of those things. But like rap music, you know, taught me what to drink, yeah, how to hold it. Right. You know what I mean? Like all of those things, like what kind of music? I mean, even like in this weird way, like 
how to spend money that you didn't have, but when you got it, like, and actually who to even be attracted to. Yeah. Right. So it was like this weird, weird thing. And so that's where I started, you know, talking about it's why I'd write a check for a case of think about that. I read read like a case of 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 40 ounces was like $13, like 12, 12, yeah, 12, 12, 98. And I was writing checks for them. Right. You know what I mean? So it was just like different those kind of things. So like, you know, and that's where the book starts. And you think about a kid from that from that to like tasting some of the best wines in the world, working Mm -hmm. in the best restaurant in the world question is it orange juice and gin or is it apple juice and gin to quote hip-hop gin and juice uh it's oj it's definitely oj there's no apple juice because i as a child i was like no looking at it i'm like is it apple or is it it's it's orange juice yep there's a lot of beverage in (laughs) (laughs) hip-hop no there is there is you know i mean but like also in a weird way which we don't talk about a lot of times is maybe as a coping mechanism Right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like to forget where you yeah. where you're from, to forget where you're at. Um, also, maybe it's a cup of courage to yeah. to uh, to push you forward. It is it's you know, it's liquid courage. It's ambition. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. So but like but it's it was a really fun book. And I think along the way you learn a lot about who I am, not only just who I am as a person and through my stories, but you learn a lot about the wine business and behind the scenes and how things work. Yeah. Um, and then it's set up to look like a faux wine guide. So it's I love the illustration, the art yeah. direction. It, it has I mean, there's a lot of different concepts that are just executed brilliantly Thank in this you. book. I love it. You're Thank welcome. You. Yeah, it's really fun. Like each wine has, you know, on the page is, uh, you know, illustrated as a as a trading card. Yeah. You know, which is something I was into. Then we have like a lot of these inlets, like what's Chateau Neuf to Pop? You know, so it actually gives you oh. real, real knowledge of, of, of those regions I, and like what they are. I got to hang at Telegraph one time. Yeah. Back in Avignon. Yeah. With, uh, with some, with some weird French guys. Yeah. Some no. w- weird guys, man. Yeah. Everybody's weird, but uh, <laughs> in a good way. Um, but yeah, so the, I, I think by the book, not only do you get to know me a little bit better, you definitely get to know a lot about wine. And, you know, I've always felt like the definitive books of, on wine have already been written. You know what I mean? Like, this is like to jumpstart you, to get you interested. Yeah. Like, if you are, I'm just telling you, not everybody has the same journey. Uh, we don't all get here the same way. But the fact that that I got here coming from where I came from, um, that a lot of people can can get here. I love it. Andre, so what are you researching right now? I feel like we've talked about television. We've talked about maybe other future book projects in the works. I feel like. Yeah, no, there's quite a few book projects. Like, I mean, it's one of those things like what is not in the works. Um, you know, shopping a couple of television shows. Uh, working on the next book, which will be probably more of a guide yeah. than like this, like more mem- than yeah. memoir, than the yeah. memoirish. Yep, yep, yep. Um, lots of different things. Uh, wine club is coming for me, so you know yeah. I think a lot of people, a lot of people that know me now, know me through YouTube, through that medium, yeah, through BA, Every, yeah. yeah. And everybody's asking me, you know, what to drink, how what they should drink, and I felt like this is a, a better way to continue that conversation with them offline. Uh, is you know having a wine club where yeah. people can buy put the bottles, bottles in their hands. Yep, and then people we can want. taste taste together. I don't know if a live event, but like there's definitely video involved yeah. in it. Um, so that said, you know, I mean, expanding. You know, I think we have like six or seven businesses on Rogers Avenue, but yeah. but looking to 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 move forward and expand. Yeah. You know, I think I said no to Rock Center. 
Yeah. I didn't pursue that. Yeah. You know, I really wanted to concentrate on my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it's about community. Important distinction. I think, Andre, thank you for sharing that because we talked about Rock Center a couple of times. And, you know, there was a lot of a lot of money flowing, a lot of checks yeah. cut. But you are keeping focus on your neighborhood. Where Now, where are you located so our listeners yeah, can know where absolutely. they can find you? So we're in Brooklyn. We're in a, a neighborhood called Prospect Leverage Garden. So um, right, you know, just south of the park. Yep. Uh, on the other side of the park from Park Slope. Uh, very beautiful. Um, and... Yeah, and it's just this one street, you know, that I, you know, my house is on, abuts to the street uh, called Rogers Avenue. Uh, And we've always, I think all of our neighbors, we've always kind of believed uh, in this and that street, you know, maybe it being more of a merchant road. You know, it's not as wide as, say, like Flatbush or Nostrand, uh, but it's a very quiet and quaint. And, you know, this is where I decided that, like, I'm going to do my thing here. And, it's you know, so great. And, if, you know, it's something for everybody, right? But if it's not, there's plenty of other places, Yeah. Um, you know, in that neighborhood for you to get to, to do things. And so it's just been a really fun. And, like, you know, me and my wife, we always have said, like, what can we do to um, contribute to a changing narrative of this neighborhood? We've lived there for 15 years. Wow. What do we know how to do? Yeah. You know, we met at Per Se. Right. She was a captain. She ended up writing a New York Times book about mm-hmm. working there. Yeah. Um, and this is what where we feel most comfortable is entertaining. And, and and a lot of these places are really just extensions of our of our living room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, to anything to, you know, to our, you know, to one of our children, you know, starting a compost. They call the compost boys. They <laughs> pick up the compost. You know, they were only taking ours to the community garden, and okay. now they take everybody else's. Oh, that's a great you know, little so, Yeah, so it's way. always just like this, you know, what could we do uh, yeah. to, to contribute to this? Like, you know, like, and we're past the point. You know, I'm sure people are like, you know, you have some people that come in and say, well, I don't want to do anything because I don't want to feel like I'm gentrifying the neighborhood. Like, like at some, like I get it, but at some point, you know, change is going to happen whether it's going to be you or not. Yeah. And that's what I always felt like. Andre, felt well like, said. I mean, that's, you know, that's a tricky topic to cover. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard, you know, and, and even me, you know, it's like, but it comes up a lot of things. Like, uh-huh. you know, you know, I think for a lot of people, they think when you say black owned that like every single one of your employee has to be black or look like me. Yeah. And that's not true. Right? You know what I mean? That's, that's, that, that's not true. And then also like, you know, does that mean, and am I not a gentrifier? Right, because because I well, don't to lo- some absolutely yeah. yes, 100%, yeah, 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 no, absolutely, but yeah. to some not. But yeah. then also, like you, you know, you find, you know, and this is all community politics. Mm-hmm. You find, you know, you find newcomers championing a cause for something for an for someone who's been there for a long time that doesn't understand that. You know, there's tons of people that I've, didn't know come up to me. You know, older woman comes up to me, Caribbean lady, been living there for years, and she says, you know, I just want to tell you thank you, mm-hmm. and I said, for what. You know, I thought she was going to complain about, like, you know, parking or maybe some of my employees. And she's like, I know from reading about you that you can open your place anywhere in the world. And the fact that you decided to open here in our neighborhood makes us very proud. I love that. Uh, And the thing for me was that that's all I ever wanted. I just wanted I wanted to do put something out in the world, specifically my neighborhood, my community uh, that people could be proud of. You said you had six concepts, six on the street. Yeah. Six. That is that's remarkable. So you're you're staying there. Yeah, I mean, and not to say that we won't expand, but like yeah. these are like I was leaving my neighborhood to go purchase very similar things. Yeah, yeah. There and you know, and I always wanted, you know, I wanted a wine bar. If I wasn't traveling, this is where you could find me, uh, and that started it all. Yeah, that was Ann Sons, and then you know, opened in twenty twenty, and then 
Many, we, many now, more. Yeah, do, many do, more. Do you places. still work at Anson's? You still work the bar sometimes? You could, you could find me there. You know, yeah. uh, at a lot of them. You know, I think. You know, I always tell my staff, it's like. You know, I can't be pulling out the seats if I'm responsible for putting asses in the seat. So there's other <laughs> stuff I have to do, right? You know what I mean? Like there's other things that I have to do. Trust me, you know, it's back to those days at Per Se. Where do I feel most comfortable? On the floor. Yeah. Right? But in order for us to grow, I have to put myself in, in a lot more uncomfortable situations. You Excel know. Yeah, mostly. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, but but also like like and not even I'm, – I'm very comfortable here, right? I'm very comfortable doing this. I've been doing – I've done these for years. Yeah. But the idea is that – you know, this is part of this is part of putting asses in the seats, mm-hmm. right? Is telling the story, yep. talking to people, you know. And it's always funny because I think people recognize me from from Bon Appetit videos on YouTube, but they most of them don't know that I own restaurants. Yes, I own quite a few restaurants. I make wine. I do a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of stuff before. I was on you know YouTube. Yeah. Um, but you know. Case in point, normally what happens is I'll walk into one of my places. I think one time I was in the bathroom, I came out, and someone said, oh, my God, that's the YouTube guy. <laughs> and then someone says, and then they say, what do you like here? Like, like what are you eating? As was, if you were a guest. Of yeah, a lot of times I think yeah. a lot of those people think that I'm a guest here. Yeah. Um, or, like, or, or like you're walking by and, like, you'll see somebody, like, you'll, I'll see my picture on their phone. So I think people are starting to get it. Um, but, like, you know, I understand that they, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, we didn't even know, that I this, love let alone that this is your place. That's like a, that's like a real mindfuck, just having had 20 years of experience and, and now getting recognized because of one thing. Correct. Well, you know, and, and I think, you know, that's something that, you know, that— that has to grow on me. Like, you know, like it, it was difficult at the beginning. You know, I didn't even know how to handle it. I think a lot of stories happen like when I come back from the bathroom. Were you the Sullivan back, Street one? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I come yeah, back yeah. from the bathroom. Our uh, our server has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one before is going home. Uh, and they're like, hey, do you mind? And I'm like, no, not do mind at all. And um, the gentleman says, oh, my God, I'm such a huge fan. I love your videos. And I was like, oh, and this is at the beginning. And for me, it's all about deflection. Like, I just want to eat and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And 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 because we were he's industry, I kind of gave my real opinion about it. Where it was like, ah, you know what? I don't really have fun shooting them. You know, it's kind of a disconnect. You know, I'm trying to explain it to him. And then he stops me and he says, Well, you're kind of ruining it, ruining it for me. <sighs> and that changed everything for me. Where I was like, Oh, I can't, you can't always be honest. Yeah. And, you know, and to be honest, I don't watch, I, like, one of the moments, I never watch the videos. Yeah. You right? just, so, you cut them. Yeah. It's almost like never meet your idols. Correct. You so, never want to meet, correct. that's because they always say something. They like always that. disappoint you yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. like, you know, it's like we watch, you know, I don't, I shoot the videos. It's like giving a staff training at a restaurant. Yeah. Like, you got to check the pulse. Nobody laughs at my jokes. It's in a full <laughs> of an empty room, right? Right. Uh, and then I never watch them. And then somehow, you know, they, they'll send me something like, oh, this video hit a million. Yeah. This video hit three million. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, breaking news, they're really good. Yeah, just, no, just no, so they you are. Know. no, they FYI. are. They, they, I mean, they're really I, entertaining. I, I, I hear that. I get that. And I would have to say that, like, but like, so it's not real when you film it. It's not real when I see the views because yeah. I can't fathom people are actually watching them, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what makes it real is those moments yeah. where people come up to you. And those moments that you know that you impacted this person's life so much out of the way that they actually come up and say something to you. This is what I tell. I was telling my kids, it's like, oh, no, people recognize me. It takes a, a certain person to actually walk up to you and say something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 
And I love those moments. I think they're great. You know, besides the moment where someone wakes me up, I'm sleeping on the airplane <laughs> to ask me if I'm the YouTube guy. Oh, that's not girl. Uh, never wake but, anyone up on an airplane. But I think it it's just a testament of how how it's touched people yeah. and how and how great it is. Uh, and I had to get used to to that yeah. in, 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 in a way mm-hmm. to say, okay, like I'm okay with it. I just got to figure out the other part. Yep. Thanks for being honest with that. No, it's really cool. Andrea, we asked all guests on the Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world to execute the book. I know you're working on some, but you probably have that dream project. Mm. What would that book be? I, I think I, you know, I'm starting on that deep dive in the country ham. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot to it, you know, a guide in a way of like, you know, in order to really understand country ham, I think you have to travel to other countries to understand ham culture. Yeah. Uh, and then and then talk about our own and talk about, you know, shed some light on some, you know, some of the greatest to do it. Um, yeah, I know that sounds really nerdy. People are like, if you could do anything, I'm like, no, nah. that's kind of that's kind of it. You know, but I'm all over the place. Actually, to be honest, and it has nothing to do with food. No, I wanted, let's to, do go. A, I wanted to do a, a 30 for 30 on the Chicago on the Chicago Bears. Yeah. So like in, in, the, in like 85, when they had that run, yeah. there were only two games that they didn't cover the spread. Wow. And there was a cab Conspiracy driver. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't. So it was only two games. And I say that to say that there was a taxi cab driver, him and his friend, that bet on every single game. And they won most of the time. They they bet won the co- he bet the cover. The, yeah, the and they the bet, cover. Bet, yeah so, they, so they won. And with that, he didn't buy a new house or anything like that. He bought whiskey. And it became one of the largest whiskey collections. Um, and so— He didn't it, just buy any whiskey. He bought the whiskey he's finding in Indiana and Kentucky. Yeah, well, I mean, he just bought what? all whiskeys, like scotch— Oh. Uh, whiskeys from all over the world, American, it, just all over the world. Um, and Jack Rose bought his collection. Wow. So like, you know, so like I like, you know, so like that it, kind of food, kind of beverage, but like, but it's like those kinds of things that I'm interested in. Um, and it fits thir- fits perfectly for 30 for 30. Yeah. You know how they tell two stories. Oh right? yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the du- du- duality of, of sports and yeah. culture. Yeah. Andre, I could talk to you forever. This ah. is such a great, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Liza, three things. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'd like to uh, start with you. What do you? What is one of your three things? My first thing is a public service announcement for other New Yorkers, which is that after years of going to Long Island Bar and begging and praying that there would be a dessert on the menu, when I went in this past weekend, cheesecake was on the menu. Wow. And I freaked out. I immediately turned to the server. I said, how long has this been on the menu? Because I was there a couple weeks ago and there was no cheesecake on the menu. And he said, oh, it's only been on for a week. It's a cheesecake from Court Pastry Shop, which is that old school Sicilian place. In my old neighborhood. I love it. It's been open since the late 40s. I was so excited about it. And then I didn't order it, actually, because I was going to a Shy Girl concert. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to have dairy before a Shy Girl concert. I feel like you need to, like, like, represent correctly yeah there were you know there were like stripper poles at the concert so <laughs> i think i like had to make some decisions but it was really shameful to be so excited about the dessert and then not ordering it and the server told me oh you know we might not keep it on the menu if people not enough people order it so i'm obviously going back soon but i hope that if anyone listens to this in the near future they will also be galvanized I, to go order this so backing up long island bar 
uh, on Atlantic Avenue, Toby Cicchini, his his spot, he invented the Cosmo famously. Yeah. Is, is Toby still there attending bar? I haven't been to Long Island. I don't really hang there. No, I mean, I was there at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday, yeah. so I didn't see him, but... You know, fun place, though, right? Long Island Bar. One of my favorite spots, one of the best, I think, booths to sit in and have a nice Negroni and a yeah. burger. Um, and I really think it is a place that should have dessert on the menu. So I'm really excited. about That's that. nice. Now, if you could pick a dessert, would it be cheesecake? Does that work well with the food that they're serving there? It would be cheesecake. Cheesecake is one of my favorite desserts in general. No shit. Um, no yeah. shit. I didn't know that about you. Like probably my all time. But I mean, Whoa. I think like an ice cream sundae would be good on that menu too. A chocolate cake, something simple that they don't have to do in that way. But I love that. So once Anna, Tatiana and I did a field, took a field trip to the Cheesecake Factory in Queens for a story. Oh my God. And then Anna on this very podcast inv- interviewed the executive chef of the Cheesecake Factory. Wow, that's such a dream interview. I love that idea. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's definitely required listening if you like cheesecake. Yeah, well, so I'm going to go back for that. Yeah. Um, what's your first thing? So last night I was at Sofre in uh, Prospect. No, it's in Park Slope. What am I saying? It's on the border. Border. It's on the Kalb. Uh, Sofre, well-established, uh, adored uh, Persian restaurant uh, run by the chef uh, Nassim Al-Khani. And, you know, Nassim is going to be on the podcast. She has a cookbook coming out and it's I can't wait to talk to her about that also James Beard finalist for New York State so exciting it's a great place and I'd never been and honestly a real highlight was this roasted meitake mushroom dish Ooh, I, I feel like that's been kind of a little moment on restaurant menus is it a whole meitake kind of it's a whole meitake kind of cut into two or three pieces with fried sunchokes chips Wow. With a really nice yogurty kind of, it's called a yogurt whey. So it's like a little bit of a looser sauce, but with the acidity of yogurt. And I thought it was like chef's kiss, the best thing I've had in a long time. Delicious. That sounds so great. And it's such a beautiful dining room also. It really is. It, you've been there then. I've been there a yeah. while ago. I'd like to go back. I really love Persian food and I feel yeah. like it's something that isn't as widely available here in New York um, than when I grew up in LA. Oh my so, gosh, yeah. But I also am not seeking it out. So I need to go do that. I yeah. Think. It's a cool, like Sofre definitely worth checking out. And I think the flavor profile, they do a tadig. So flavor flavor profile for me is like a little more sour and acidic, which I love. But the tadig, they did like the small side of tadig, which was like of the burnt rice, but then it had like a small flatbread that had been deeply fried. So it was like a very rich fried little pita chip. That sounds so good. And with this like sauce that was extremely like almost like fruity forward. Mm. Mm, really good. What's your next one? My next thing is that I made a fennel frond pesto recently inspired by a recipe in Hetty McKinnon's new book, Tenderheart, that's coming out in the U.S. very soon. I interviewed mm-hmm. her on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and she posted an Instagram reel of her making this dish. Her dish is a fennel I think it's a gnocchi, actually, yeah. that's oh, cool. frond pesto. But I had just never thought about making a fennel frond pesto before, and I'm really into, like, a whole vegetable preparation. So I made a shaved fennel salad yeah. and then blitzed the fronds with some pepitas like she does in the recipe. And then I also added uh, some rice vinegar, a little bit of miso, and a lot of red pepper flakes and olive oil. Whoa. It was so good. All of my friends that I served it to are really into it. And I just am planning on making it a lot more. Liza, that's a cool dish. I wonder the fronds, they bring like that le- like that licorice anise flavor profile to the pesto. They do. It's almost like a dill um, yeah. kind of grassiness as well. And I think it's fun to be able to say this is a full full fennel. My idea of fun is saying this is a full fennel dish. You <laughs> a know? full fennel dish. And, and fennel is polarizing. Uh, shouts to my wife, Tamar, who hates it. And we never actually, I never really make it because I try to appease people in my life. But I love fennel. 
I'll bring you some. I love it. We can do it all, like you know offline. Now I want to ask you about pesto because we are in this rut where we Ligurian pesto is what we think of pesto, right? This like basil forward Italian dish, but pesto can be many things. Thus, this dish. Yeah, you know, I say I say fennel frond pesto. Pesto is maybe a loose interpretation. No. I'm not Italian, so I don't think I would venture to say <laughs> what is or isn't a pesto. But I do think. Um, you know, even when I was talking about this with somebody, they said, oh, I make an arugula pesto all the time, which I thought was a cool idea if you totally. have, you know, arugula that's about to go bad. Yeah, I mean, pesto, it's totally correct. I don't think pesto needs to be from Liguria and be the basil forward pine nut thing. It can be many things. I, I, just, I think it's nice that we can, you know, free pesto from, from basil. Free pesto. Free pesto, for sure. Let's put it in a shirt. Yeah. I think we should do shirts. We haven't really done that at Taste. Free pesto. That's the first one. <laughs> that would be, I don't know if I'd rock a free pesto. I mean, it'd be like, what are you talking about? Is there a guy, in, you know, pesto? No, I'm really passionate about everyone getting <laughs> served pesto for free. I love it. That's cool. <laughs> What's your next thing? I'm going to stick with cooking and I'm going to give you a lot of credit right now. You really sent me on my path for Passover and you were like, short ribs. And I'm like, yes, please. So we hosted Passover. I... For my house rules, I was like, no brisket in my house. I don't like brisket at home at all. It's not good. I like it in, like, the hill country of Texas, but I don't really like it as a food. It's just not good. Yeah, I think I said short rib to you because a couple years ago, my Seder didn't get our act together in time to (laughs) order a brisket in Brooklyn, which those go very fast. So short rib was born out of necessity, but I did think it was a very delicious main meat to be serving. It's a beautiful dish. It worked out so well. It was an Allison Roman recipe from the New York Times. I love it. It actually, the braising liquid was cool. Um, and it's more of a citrus forward, acidic forward short rib. Um, so braising liquid key in this dish um, was, of course, there's a liquid. So I use chicken stock, but you can use any stock, but it had honey, apple vinegar, soy sauce, and thyme. Beautiful braise there. The key, I think, is when you pull after two, three hours, let it rest a bit, you shower it with with lemon zest and lemon juice. So you're going, you're like leaning into the acidity with the with the um the vinegar and then of course the end with the citrus. And fan favorite. I love that. Did you have any leftovers? And if so, what did you make with them? I wish I had leftovers. We had a pretty big house, and I think everyone I think there might have been one little bit of leftover, and I like I snuck it the next morning. Chef's treat. That yeah. was me. Yeah, it was a chef's treat. And I got these beautiful short ribs that were very marbled and they were really like big boys. I, I was like super stoked about that. Mm. Yeah. What's your last one? My last one, I'm bringing us back to dessert. I went to Jack's on Bond recently. Nice. Which is the new restaurant from the Wild Air Contra team yeah. here. And I've been lusting after this creamsicle pie on Instagram since they've just been teasing the restaurant. So I finally got to eat it. And it's just like a cartoon idea of a pie. The ratio of whipped topping to this like orange creamsicle filling yeah. is basically one to one, which I didn't realize was quite what I wanted out of a pie until I had that. But it was a very just lush, dreamy, satisfying bite. What's the ratio that you typically go for? I mean, I will eat whatever is served to me. I think that most of the time there's kind of a, a two thirds filling to yeah. one third whip situation. This yeah. is a graham cracker crust that oh. is very orange, mm. creamsicle-esque filling, which really does taste like a, a melted popsicle, and then an equal amount of whipped cream on top. Matt, what's your last thing? Okay, so Korean duck galbi. Do you know what this, have you heard of that dish at all, duck galbi? Mm, I don't know. Tell me about it. So duck galbi is I think kind of slept on. It's, it's not really thought of a lot in the U.S. It's really common in Seoul and in Korea. It's basically 
barbecue chicken. It's grilled chicken that is like placed in a in a on a grill similar to traditional beef kalbi or samgyeopsal pork belly. And I think it's one of it's like one of my favorite Korean dishes now and since doing the book Korea World. And I I feel like I found a spot in New York that does it really well. Ooh, okay. What is it? I want to know. It's called Hong Chun Chun Duck Galbi. It's on 32nd Street, second floor, like a little hidden. Uh, I, I've talked to a few folks. Some folks know it. Some folks don't. And I wanted to shout it out because what this is is it's chicken that's been marinated in uh, gochujang or gochugaru um, forward spicy mix that's usually a blend of honey or rice syrup. So it's like a sweet and hot uh, kind of fiery chicken, but you lay it out on a grill and you put vegetables and you grill it and you wrap it in sam. So in perilla leaves, lettuce, you serve it with, um, you know, radish kimchi. And it's, it's one of these styles of barbecue that I think is less re- respected here. It sounds so good. It makes me want to eat that for lunch right now. I think that spicy sweet as a combination is something that is so appealing. For Korean food, I think it's one of the real strengths. Um, there's a there's a stew called duck doritang that's basically this version in soup, and it's like definitely a favorite. And we have it in our first book. It had a lot of uh, honey powder in it, so it was like that was the main ingredient. But this is like taking duck doritang DDT and putting it under the grill. You drink some beers with it, and I just it's really fun. And, I, and this restaurant is it's very like fast and and easy to navigate. And if you're not feeling like beef and you want some chicken, hit it up. Let's go. Let's go right now. Yeah, let's go right now. Eliza, thank you for sharing your three things. Anytime. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 